0: Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler and joining me today for a Q&A episode is my friend and colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. How are you, Perko?
0: I am outstanding, Mr. Hasler.
1: Outstanding, yep. are we? Yep. yep. Big, weekend uh, big weekend planned?
0: Big weekend planned. Bit of time sitting by the box watching a lot of footy this ah, Okay, okay.
1: Because as we, as we are, are recording this, it is... Friday the 23rd of September, 12.30pm. And what I'm asking... You can ro- almost
0: smell the liniment at this time of the year, <laughs> late the, September. You can
1: hear the roars of the crowd. The roar of the crowd. But what I'm asking you, as we record this, Perco, is I know for a fact you'll be watching the Blood is Low Cup, I know you'll be watching the NRL uh, prelims, and I know you'll be watching the AFL Grand Final, Perco, Nostradamus, the Oracle give us your tips.
0: You are such a horrible friend and colleague. You are totally setting me up here. I'm just
1: looking to make some cash, mate.
0: you looking <laughs> to make some cash. All right. Well, if we're going to make this interesting, if you're going to force me into giving you my tips, I think we need to bet. Okay. I think we need to bet. Uh,
1: we, and what, what is the wager? Well,
0: what we might do is ask our listeners to call in and give us the stakes. Let us know what you think I should be gambling with here against Hasler. But I think bear, pride, pride mind, is on the line more than anything bear, else.
1: Bearing in mind, but when this is published, I think the vast majority of the results will have been determined right. once this goes live. Anyway.
0: In which case, I'll look like an idiot. No, no, you'll look like a genius. Or a genius. Yeah. What do you got for me? Let's, start, let's start with. I don't the, even know what's on. Tell me what's on tonight. The,
1: the prelim tonight Cowboys versus Eels.
0: Cowboys, well, Chad Townsend may well be listening to this because he is one of our listeners we know. And, Chad, I wish you all the best, but I'm really sorry to tell you that those eels are coming up north into the hot, sweaty environment of Townsville and they're going to clean up the Cowboys.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay, so you're not from one, I'm guessing, at this (laughs) this point. (laughs) At least we've lost a listener as well. (laughs) All right, let's switch to Saturday, and we're going to switch codes, and we're going to go AFL. AFL. Swans versus, I believe, I don't really follow that, Geelong. The Cats. Yeah. My only knowledge of AFL and the Cats would be Patrick Dangerfield Patrick is Dangerfield. there and I'm a, I've got a big rap on him. I've heard him present a couple of times mm. and I know he's a, he's a, he, about some interesting things but th- all of that is irrelevant, Perko, because mm. what I want to know is who's bringing home the bacon.
0: Patty Dangerfield is an interesting one. We sat next to each other, I think you and I, in uh, down in Victoria at a... Positive Schools Conference and we heard Paddy Dangerfield and we were very impressed by him yep. and he put up a particular slide at one stage where he said, I lost the love of the game. Mm. The, joy, mean, of the, the joy of football changed. The joy of football changed when yep. it, the pressure was too high and I think, despite the fact that I think that they're absolute favourites to win, I think... Buddy He's going to get the yips. You think Buddy and the Boys? Buddy and the Boys. Okay. Yeah. Buddy and I the don't boys. know if we've got any Swans uh, in our listening audience. I have
1: no idea, but I'm going with you, swannies. Okay. This wow. W- this week's an underdogs week. Okay. not from two. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> let's head across the Dutch, and it's the blood is low Eden Park mm. Wallabies versus New Zealand off the back of a very controversial conclusion last mm. week. Who have you got? the uh, The boys in black or the uh, the gentlemen in gold
0: well I think it'll be very hard to clean up the all blacks at Eden Park tomorrow
1: okay so New Zealand are your winners oh
0: you haven't said none from three no I, I think you
1: probably you could well be on the money there but mm. we, we'll see back to the NRL Panthers rabbits
0: well 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 new Prime Minister Alba rabbits fan
1: a rabbit fan a rabbit
0: <laughs> rabbits fan um Penrith I like, I like a team that hasn't had as much success as another team to get up. Okay. So I'm going for the Rabbits yep. over the Chocolate Soldiers. Okay. And again, it's an unlikely win. Mm. But I think Cody Walker is okay. going to do something amazing with Latrell Mitchell yep. and the Rabbits may clean up the Panthers, okay. which will lead us to a Souths versus Eels grand final the following okay. week, which Souths are going to win.
1: Okay, well, there you go. Real
0: Nostradamus stuff now. That's
1: really, really, really crystal balling it. So I'm going to put it out there. Never have the following words been more pertinent than right now. Bet with your head, not over it. Gamble responsibly.
0: (laughs) Don't gamble at all. Just make your own silly guesses at this like I've done. (laughs) And for all of our listeners who have no interest in football of any code whatsoever – Welcome to this month's episode, this week's episode, where we're listening to the, your questions. We're responding to your questions. We
1: are. We are indeed. We are indeed. We've got a, a few. We've got one voicemail message as well. They rang in to cut through HQ and, mm. and for doing so they will receive, Perco, a signed copy of mm. uh, the Act of Leadership. But we'll get to that question later. I'm going to throw a question to you straight away, Perco, without notice. This question comes in from Adrian. And he asks, with so much talk around quiet quitting, especially post-COVID, how can leaders navigate this and improve culture in the workplace whilst also taking care of their own well-being? Perko, mm. what do you got for us?
0: Well, we couldn't really um, – and, you know, thanks, Adrian, for the question. And it's an interesting question, few elements to it there around quiet quitting, you know, in the COVID environment – um, but also improving culture in the workplace, and and then taking care of our own well-being. Improving culture in a workplace is something that we should all be aspiring to do, um, with it whichever lever we can pull, whichever role we have in the in the particular workplace. Um, but I want to go to the end of the question first: taking care of our people's well-being, um, or taking care of our own well-being, which is such an important element um, for all of us, and. If we go back a couple of episodes, the interview uh, that I did with Sophie Scott, um, where she talks about a number of ways and, and the importance of looking after our own well-being and that's where we need to start. We absolutely need to start before we consider, you know, the well-being of the other people that we work with. How do we look after ourselves so that when we turn up, in whichever way we're turning up, how do we turn up with our metaphorical gas tank as full as it can be so that we can behave and interact in a way that is actually going to elevate not just ourselves but the people around us as well. And I suppose in relation to the quiet quitting, um, which really is a phenomenon internationally uh, where people have perhaps, I don't know, Dan, how would we describe it, lost interest in what they've been doing or lost some purpose with what they're doing. and
1: Maybe. I think maybe they've just got better clarity on what, What's Life might be it. about yeah, yeah maybe I don't know,
0: mm. which you know feels like an indulgence for some people because you know the reality of it is that the majority of people can't just quit their job because they've got so many other expectations and responsibilities. But when we talk about quiet quitting, I mean exploring why people want to quit. You know, as you're suggesting there, Dan, people have had that, that they've taken the opportunity. Maybe the the opportunity's been um shown to us through everything that's impacted us during COVID to think about what's important to us and to really explore with our people what it is that's important to them and how that's shifted as a result of COVID and how we can respond to what's shifted for people so that we can really bring them in in a way that we can respond to what's important to them um and what needs of theirs are perhaps not being met uh, in this new scenario that we find ourselves in now? If we've said that we had experience X prior to COVID, and now we've got experience Y, how do we look at what's important to our people? How do how can be how can we be really genuine about that, mm. um, and and adapt to what's important for our people mm. as leaders, or if we're not a leader in our environment, how do we really? understand ourselves better and then how do we articulate and we're going to come to this with another question later on about really speaking up but how do we articulate what's changed for us and what needs to change for us in that workplace Mm -hmm. so that we can be truly satisfied and we can um, bring everything that we can to it rather than a sense of overwhelm and burnout as Sophie Scott refers to in that other podcast Um, but so that our desire is not to quit Perhaps our desire is to quit what used
1: to be mm, the, old, the old way of doing things, yeah, without having
0: to quit our actual job and say, "Okay, well, I'm 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 pulling up stumps on what used to, the old norms, and now this is what's important to me now. How do we create an environment where I can work in a situation where those needs really are being met?
1: Mm, I think the um, I think the most um, forward thinking or enlightened. Um, leaders are kind of doing these two things together they're, they're they're looking after their own well-being not in any selfish sense but in a real coming from a perspective of real self-care mm-hmm. and they're doing it i don't want to say publicly but they're quite transparent in what they're doing they're very clear that they're walking the walk and they're articulating to their people that you know this is okay this is important that we can all do this and so they're kind of walking the walk they're setting the the scene so to speak but then and this is a you know that next level down is they're then rather than just saying hey just do what i'm doing but they're really genuine in going to their people and asking them with real curiosity real authenticity mm-hmm. okay what does well-being mean to you and how can we create an environment here that not only does you know the work get done whatever that means but you know not only are we doing our work but we're doing it in a way which is nourishing for you. We're doing it in a way which, you know, taps into whatever is important for the human experience, autonomy, mastery, purpose, belonging, psychological safety, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, we've used or I've used this phrase a lot, you know, this idea of temporal milestones, moments in time where it makes sense to do this. And as as I said, I think the most enlightened leaders have recognized that the past few months particularly have presented us with a temporal milestone, an obvious moment in time where it makes sense to have these conversations and and do so authentically. So I guess the the short way of answering Adrian's question is um, how can leaders navigate this and improve culture in the workplace? We we don't know. We need to ask the people Mm. in that workplace and then really authentically sit with those considerations um, and and do our best to create such an environment.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good way of saying it there, Dan. We don't know nobody really knows until you've spoken to your people mm. finding out what it is, what do they need and how do we – and, you know, I like the the use of the term authentically there, you know, really to authentically do it with our people, listen to them, rather than just come in with a fix-all that's going to, you know, we heard Not that, fix anything. Not fix anything <laughs> and yeah. perhaps exacerbate things because people feel disrespected because you've put a generic – you know cover all over something you know and we've heard people say on multiple occasions you know just introducing yo- lunchtime yoga is not going to fix anything for some people that will absolutely make things better mm. but let's not let's not pretend that one size fits all yep. dan we've got a question here from keith there are some interesting words in this one why do so many narcissistic sociopaths
1: you know have podcasts <laughs> That's <laughs> not what Keith asked. Yeah, yeah. Let's it. go back to Keith. Yeah. Why do so
0: many narcissistic sociopaths <laughs> manage to achieve leadership roles in proportion to self-reflective empaths?
1: Mm, I love this question. I mm. saw this. I laughed out loud mm. when I, when, I, when it came through, but I, not in a laughing at the question, but kind of I can really see or feel where this, this question has come from. But the first thing I would want to do, I think, before tackling the question is – I guess just go to those two words narcissistic and, and sociopath. I think often we might see behaviors which we think are those things, um, but we have to be mindful that, you know, both of those things are diagnoses, you know, and, and we're certainly not qualified to determine whether someone is clinically diagnosable as narcissistic or, or a sociopath. But what I think we could draw a line between is some of those behaviors you know the the and I'm going to be quite general when I talk here but you know you know the 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 self-promotion the the confidence the the loudness um the kind of the hubris the hubris the the forging their own path the climbing the promotional um ladder that kind of stuff I can appreciate that for some people um viewing that and the the way they feel as a result of perhaps being caught in the the wake of such a person, absolutely, the the feelings that they are narcissistic or sociopathic, I I understand where that comes from. I'm not going to stick with those labels, but what I am going to suggest is that um, those behaviours, rightly or wrongly, tend to be rewarded in lots of organisations because... Perhaps their approaches to leadership in those organisations or institutions or departments—they're quite lazy, you know. They're quite lazy. They—they they wait, you know. They—they they put a—they a, a, set up an environment where, you know, we look for people to nominate themselves. We are very performative in our uh, um, selection process. You know, we ha- you demonstrate what you've done, present well at interview you know be really confident and it kind of in in some ways it it's kind of creating the environment where well people who might be more predisposed to doing that you know the, with the if you think about some of the biases you know like the, it's if you've got Dunning-Kruger <laughs> bias where your your attitude outweighs your aptitude you know that's a perfect environment for you i'm just going to go gung ho here i'm just going to i'm just going to forge my own path and i'm just going to make it to the top i'll fake it till i make it and and, and 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 let's be clear some people don't even think they need to fake it they're just un- unwittingly poor at what they're doing yeah. their people skills or whatever but that for whatever reason because of the systems that we have because we don't spend a lot of time actually on the ground with people seeing how their people skills actually are we don't spend time with them reflecting on their own practice and you know it, it it's it's a a, a much easier way to identify leaders by putting a call out for here's the new promotion who fancies it and and then being wowed by a you know flashy presentation or an overstated cv versus as keith refers to perhaps the the more self-reflective empath the more self-reflective empath might hold back on going for it because they they know Mm. (laughs) they know there's a skills gap there they know that um you know i'm Maybe I'm not quite cut out for this particular role, whereas at the other end of the spectrum, they've maybe not even thought about it. They've just gone for it. And as I said, I think I actually think this is more of an organisational challenge than it is an individual one. I think organisations, departments of education, for example, or big multinationals, whoever it might be, or even just your small business, right? I think we need to be far more deliberate and mindful about, okay, well, what are the values that we want our place and our people to stand for and presumably narcissism and sociopathy aren't there mm. in your list of uh, value statements um <laughs> i'd love to say that one on the wall. <laughs> although there is there's a lot of theory that suggests a lot of big multinationals uh, you know if they were a person would be this but let, let's let's suspend that for a moment you know and and say okay well how do we get better at identifying who we want to lead our people mm. Because it might be that we need to go to people who up until this point are really holding themselves back. And it might be that it's that level of reflection, that level of humility, which is what we really want in leaders. I remember someone throwing away, it was a comment, a real throwaway line around, you know, like the people who put their hand up for leadership positions are really not the people we need leading. Mm. You know, which I don't fully agree with, um, but I reckon that there's a lot of people who don't put their hand up for leadership positions who really should be leading. Mm. And I think we need to get better, and when I say we, I mean every organisation on the planet needs to get better at talent identification or potential for that, and Mm. then building a really robust and supportive, you know, all the words we use, you know, resilient, psychologically safe, engaging, authentic approach, To bring in these people into the leadership space.
0: Yeah, I think you've touched on a really interesting point there about talent identification. And it's interesting if we come back to the absurd tips that I've just made for the weekend and the Geelong Cats, because I believe that one of the things that Patrick Dangerfield talked about that day Mm. where we heard him speak down in Victoria, he was talking about the Geelong, uh, and I'm I'm possibly going to get this wrong. The Geelong Way. The Geelong Way, which was about you know choosing players on character mm. obviously they've got to have base level skills yep. but beyond base level skills they were choosing on character rather than necessarily talent. the highest level of talent yep. uh, and what they were trying to do is build a culture mm. um and it's very easy to get all the superstars with all the ego and the self-obsession and whatever mm. but is that what's going to make a team and um You know, it's interesting to think about the the self-reflective empaths as well because we talk about confidence when we talk about those narcissistic sociopaths and whether it's it's just a pumped-up, unrealistic sense of confidence. But self-reflective empaths can be very confident people, um, whether or not they promote themselves in the same way. You know, when we talk about narcissism, it's self-obsession. And when we talk about sociopaths, It's a lack of awareness, a a lack of emotional intelligence, a lack of empathy. Um, How do we identify the talent of those people who we actually want to lead us? Mm. And I think we could probably do it without too much difficulty at all. It's about do we actually want to identify that sort of talent or are we only looking for the people who really aren't the right leaders for us? Are we ever getting the right leaders? How do we find the right leaders Mm what sort of metrics can we start to choose to say okay you know prior to doing these interviews how do we how do we find out someone who is high empathy how do we find out you know someone who is self reflective what sort of questions can we ask in order for that sort of talent to rise to the surface and then are we prepared to take a bit of a gamble on someone who might be a bit quieter someone who might lead from beside rather than being this bombastic out the front leader, full of their own self-importance, which is going to cause us more dramas down the line.
1: I think it's time for a voicemail. We, um, I, in the uh, newsletter um, and on my socials, I put the call out for questions and and threw a bit of burly in the water to yeah. suggest, say that you know, if we if you wanted to send us a voicemail message, because I think I don't know, I just feel that it might be a more engaging experience to get hear the voice of the people, get the voice of the people on on the show. Um, then they would get themselves a signed copy of the book, which, to be honest, mate, I expect most people listening have already got a copy of the book. But this one, now it's signed, it's immediately halved in value because I've scrawled across it. So feel free, a signed copy, you can whack it on eBay, you can give it away. But our prize winner today, um, who sent us a, a voicemail, is Liam. And Perko, if you just push the button there on our machine, we'll have a listen right now. Hi, Dan and Tim a long-time listener, first-time caller. Just wondering what tips you had for new leaders trying to establish themselves
0: in a new setting um, and building credibility and that sort of thing in their new context.
1: Thank you. So thanks for your message there, Liam. As I mentioned, the signed copy of the book is on its way to you. But as to your question, this question actually came up in our online Habits of Leadership Academy um, this week where we had um, a member of the group who asked a very very similar question to this? They were just about to embark on a new leadership um, position and were really um, torn, I guess, between going in there kind of gung ho with all the ideas that you know he's been thinking about and and what he wants to implement versus um, you know taking his time listening. Getting the layer of the land, not wanting to put people offside.
0: You know what this is making me think about, don't
1: you, Dan? You're going to have to. <laughs> I've, I've got it. You've got that knowing look uh, in your eye, but yeah. yeah, help me out.
0: Well, you know, it appears that over the last, I don't know, three or four months, almost everywhere I go uh, working in, in the leadership game and everywhere you go, people are saying to us both, Have you watched Ted Lasso?
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: How could Ted Lasso help us with this question, Mr. Hasler?
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm a recent arrival to Ted Lasso. It's, uh, it's taken me a while. The reason is I just didn't want another subscription service. Yeah. But then all of a sudden uh, Apple TV offered a three-month free subscription. I thought, bang, I'm in. Let's have a look at this Ted Lasso malarkey. And one of the things which is interesting in the Ted Lasso, um, so for those of you who don't know, he's a, an American... Uh, coach of NFL he gets plonked into an English football Premier League team and is charged with turning around its fortunes and he comes at it with all manner of um, soft skill approaches let's just put it that because he knows nothing about football or soccer Um, so he's coming at it entirely with the the people skills and um, one of the things that he does Very early on in his tenure is he sets up um, a suggestion box, which has a great story around it, but I don't want to spoil it. But the suggestion box and basically asks the players to um, put any suggestions that um, they have for him as to how to improve um, the, the, the club, the football team and the vast majority of suggestions are actually end up being personal attacks um, on on ted but one of the suggestions is um it makes reference to the fact that the showers in in the change rooms um just don't have enough water pressure they're just not good enough they're just terrible it's not a good experience and so as they're going through the suggestions he just passes it to assistant coaches oh that's a good one file that and then very very quickly by the end of the episode as it transpires. The players go into the change room and the showers have been fixed. And this is a beautiful example of one of the suggestions that we often offer to to new leaders is to go, well, go in. The first thing you need to do is listen. Ask questions and listen with, again, using that word, real curiosity and authenticity to hear what the people have to say. Regardless of how good your ideas are, regardless of what you think needs to be done, there's a whole heap of stuff that's gone before you, which you need to be respectful of and mindful of, and then being a not not acquiescing, not not holding back necessarily, you know, or, or being drawn into old dramas, but being really deliberately steady in your approach because you need credibility. You need, as Liam asked, you know how do I you know how do I gain credibility? Well, the best way to gain credibility is get a little win get a small win find out what the equivalent of the water pressure is in the new setting and fix it. So a simple um, you know process is ask a question, listen, consider and act if you can and if you can't act go back to them and explain why something can't be done because what it turns out is that most people are actually satisfied if they know you've at least considered it authentically. Mm they don't necessarily need you to act on every suggestion they have but what they do need is if you've asked a question they want to know that you've seriously considered it and you know once you start building up those little wins those small wins those things which you know from the outside are certainly they're not the things you're going into this leadership position to change like ted lasso doesn't go in he didn't go into it to change the showers you know to but it's a it's a stepping stone to building you know credibility to building cohesion, building connection so that when the new things do need to be brought in, you're doing it with them, not to them and you're also by building this cohesion and connection, you've been able to understand where they've been, where they've come from so you can help them take the next step to where they need to go.
0: Because hmm. I think credibility there in your, in your question uh, Liam and thank you for it, credibility for me is all about integrity. And integrity is essentially doing what you've said you're going to do. So, if you, you know, if we use the Ted Lasso example, he's asked for suggestions. Now, some could ask for suggestions and then completely ignore them. Credibility goes down, integrity goes down. Whereas, you know, actually wanting to act on the things that, you know, your people say matter to you, because I suppose the alternative is coming into a situation and really. You know, when we talk about mindset, we talk about the idea of proving, you know, in a fixed mindset versus improving in a growth mindset. You know, if your motivation is to improve as opposed to prove, you're far more likely to be all ears and really listening and thinking about what's, what's important and how you can play a role in supporting that, um, which builds your own integrity with the people. And so if your motivation is to prove yourself – and perhaps because of a bit of imposter syndrome, which is completely normal going into a new leadership situation, if the idea is to improve, sorry, to prove yourself, you might go in with all sorts of things that won't work in that environment because they're just generic things that you're thinking will show how credible you are, will show how capable you are, will you know downplay any sense of imposter syndrome that you might have. But the more generic they are, the less suited to the context they are, the less responsive to the people they are. Um, the uh, Aussie uh, fighter, boxer, Jeff Fennick, talked about the fact that, you know, I'm sure it wasn't his quote specifically, but, you know, he's got two ears and one mouth, and he, therefore he should listen in, in that sort of proportion as opposed to speaking.
1: I mean, I, that's Jeff Fennick. I'm not believing for a second that he's the philosopher that came <laughs> up with that. It,
0: I, I don't know how philosophical it actually is, like but uh,
1: for now, it's Fennick. Uh, for okay. now,
0: it's the Marrickville Mauler okay. himself, Jeff Fennick. All right, sweet. Um, and if you want to hear something very funny, listen to Roy and HG talking about Jeff Fennick prior to a fight. <laughs> Daniel, um, shall we go to the next question? Yeah, I let's think. Go. Are we going to go this whole question because this is a long one? Let's go with it. Um, All right, so this is from Carrie. Um, Carrie says that she is new to a leadership role. She's 12 months in. She said, I struggle with confronting the loud voices in my team. Perhaps this goes back to a little bit of Keith's question as well, the self-reflective empaths. Confronting the loud voices in my team. There are some very opinionated people who feel they can speak their mind. Admin, higher up, haven't pulled them up but they are well aware. Admin are supportive, but they don't seem to stomp on poor, unprofessional behaviour. My nature is to avoid confrontation, so I struggle with addressing these people in these situations. Email is easy to address a problem, but it's more in the moment of face-to-face. I want advice on how to put people in their place while still being professional, respectful and upholding their dignity. These are the type of people who want the last word or don't see their faults Or that they are at fault? How do I gain the courage to speak up as a leader of a team?
1: Well, as you say, that's quite a long question. And Mm. we could probably have done the whole episode.
0: Mm. On the various elements of of that question.
1: But what I'm going to try and do is take a stab at a few things which jump out at me. So rather than trying to answer, I guess, the the question word for word, just a few of the things which jump out at me. And if I'm being honest, the first bit that jumps out at me is just some of the language in the question. And I appreciate that when you're in this kind of environment, it can get a little emotive and it can get, you know, we, we feel that a lot of this is almost, you know, being done as an affront to us. It's 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 an attack on us when somebody speaks up or, um, you know, is unprofessional, particularly in our in, in a team that we're leading but one of the things that we try and work with leaders with and this could be you know, leaders in a, in a corporate sense it could be coaches of a sporting team or, or even teachers in a classroom actually is being able to try and separate um what's happening with then how it makes us feel and then our reaction to it so when i hear words for example like you know i need to put someone in their place or Um, I need to stomp on poor behavior or, you know, other examples of that is where, you know, like I just need to be brutally honest with somebody or, you know, I'm not here to make friends. Now, I'm not making a judgment on why people say that or why people feel that. But what I am saying is it's really hard to lead people effectively if that's the start point, if that's the, the mindset with which I'm coming to this situation with. So when we're working with people, and usually this is in a one on one situation, we'll spend a lot of time not acquiescing to poor behavior. That's not what it's about. But it's about recognizing that until we're ready to actually leave the, what, you know, we might refer to as the red brain at the door, and really come at this with more neutral language, and seeing this as a learning opportunity for us, as much as anything, because en- anyone can lead people who are you know, at the top of their game and performing professionally and going above and beyond anyone can lead that. But the way you grow as a leader is when you come up against like this, you know, these points of friction and these challenges, if you are mindful enough to recognize, okay, well, this is this isn't, you know, a euphemism I use a lot is this is interesting. You know, this is some interesting behavior right here. What can I learn about myself here so that I can then you know lean into it so things that uh, carrie's mentioned you know um her nature is to avoid confrontation um so maybe i'll address it in an email the problem with email is as again uh, carrie put in the in the question is that's not in the moment that tends to be after the fact and so i think being able to sit with the discomfort that that's what's happening here, but then choose to, to view this as a learning opportunity and, and choose to say, okay, well, what's my growth and development here as a leader in, in addressing this? So again, taking this at face value without knowing any of the characters involved, when I hear things like some people you know, feel they can speak their mind, that's telling me that there are presumably some people who feel they can't, but they might want to, and so one way that we can gain the courage to speak up as a leader of the team is to understand what it is the team actually want, what it is the team actually need, and then advocate on their behalf. So one of the um, activities or, or processes that we often do with, um, with teams is to help them understand their norms what is it? And, and this is often if we go back to what we're talking about with the narcissistic sociopaths, go back to understanding what their values are. You know, who are we as a team? What, what do we stand for here? What are the values that we aspire to, to live into? And then as a result of that, what are the behaviors that need to be the norm in order for that to happen? And so you can frame it in any number of ways. And one way is just to simply, you know, talk about some of the things which, um, you know, are, are grinding your gears. You know, there's a, an episode of the podcast uh, called um, How to Hold Your People Accountable with um, Jonathan Raymond in which, you know, we, we suggest using that podcast itself as a stimulus for such an activity and say, okay, I don't think we're on the same page uh, around a, f- a few things. Can we just talk about that right now? And by facilitating in, a, in a, again, a mindful and deliberate way, we're able to ask things like and i'll just use a real simple one you know is it acceptable that people shout other people down in the meeting and then being able to have that conversation rather than just having people shout down people in meetings actually let's talk let's talk about how we do the work let's talk about the protocols that we want to see in our our teams and what you'll tend to find is that um once you get a group of professional people sitting around talking about that the people who often don't speak their mind all of a sudden, that's probably a lie to say all of a sudden, but over time, they'll develop a confidence and a safety in being able to speak up about certain things, particularly if, if you as the leader offer a variety of forums to do that. It could be done anonymously through a survey or it could be done completely the opposite, publicly in a, in a, in a meeting or, or a forum. But by establishing what the norms are, for example, actually it is unacceptable to shout other people down in a meeting. And then and this might sound a little bit didactic, but Tim and I would absolutely suggest you do this. Writing it down and having people literally sign that they agree to it, all of a sudden it becomes so much more easier. Not, I'm not saying it's done and dusted, but it certainly becomes easier to hold people accountable to that because all of a sudden you're not feeling the need to do it yourself. The whole team signed to this and the whole team have a role to play in holding each other to account.
0: Yeah, because I think as soon as you start making assumptions that certain behaviours won't occur because that's not the way professional people behave, um, those assumptions end up biting us because we can't make those assumptions. We have to really... Um, create them very deliberately and, as you say, write them down. Um, It's interesting. You mentioned um, the Jonathan Raymond Accountability Dial podcast that you did with him, Dan, which was episode 38 for those people who want to have a look at it. Um, A few other uh, podcasts here have sort of come to me um, when looking at this question. And, And the first one was episode 50, which is the one with Ed and Peter Shine around humble leadership. And what does it actually mean? to be a humble leader and it's not that don't confuse humility with being ineffectual uh because that's absolutely uh incorrect you know you can be a very humble leader who is very effective in in the particular role and it is all about you know getting to know your people and really understanding them there's an element of your question here at the very end there carrie where you talk about how do i gain the courage to speak up as the leader of a team well I actually think that it's our professional responsibility to gain that courage and so finding ways and one of the things that came to me when I uh, heard your question there, Carrie, is this idea of speaking truth to power um, which is something that a lot of us struggle with and, and it might be considered that the power is with you because you're the leader or you're a leader in the group but we often know that the power sits with people who really demonstrate that power and often used... ...in a way that is, you know, problematic. Um, They're not necessarily leaders... ...but we know that they're powerful people... ...in the way that they carry themselves. And, you know, there's a couple of other episodes... ...that may be useful. I don't want to overwhelm with, you know... ...references to past episodes. But the two others that come to mind... ...are the interview uh, that we did with Kim Scott... ...around this concept of radical candour... ...which was episode 45... And then the other one, um, you know, episode 20, which is the interview that you did, Dan, with Amy Edmondson around creating psychological safety in a workplace. And those two in combination, those two podcast episodes in combination with each other really help us understand what does it mean to be a leader? What, what's our responsibility as far as creating a psychologically safe environment where people can speak up? um and you know um you know speak truth to power and hold ourselves up in a way where we have to really consider what it is that we're doing um and then and then the radical candor how do we increase the care factor and challenge directly and have the conversations that we need to have particularly to challenge inappropriate behaviors in the workplace Um, but also to really build that sense of empathy for the people that we have because you know, as as you'll see when you look at and listen to that podcast and think about um, that radical candor framework, it's really predicated on caring personally in order to challenge directly.
1: Yeah, I love I love what you've done there, Perko. You've like you've packaged up a few different episodes, which we're, we're actually going to be really deliberate about doing that for twenty twenty three. Actually, mm. packaging up episodes and putting them out as like you know free learning packages on on our new online space, but. Being able to think about you know, rather than these all being isolated episodes, you know, ideas as islands, they're actually there's a lot of synergy between. I'd say virtually every episode. There's there's connections that you could draw between all of them. So, th- thanks for doing that. Because what I'll do is I'll make sure that all those links are in, in the show notes to each of them, so they don't need to go foraging through. They can just look at the show notes um, here. I'm going to throw our last question of the day, Perko, to you, my friend. And this is from um, somebody called Chris, who, I, I, this is another one where I kind of laughed when I read it because, oh my word, do I get, I, I'm often on the receiving end of something like this. So he says, why is it that when staff makes suggestions to leadership about ways in which they can improve or things that need to happen differently in the workplace, why is it that that always then results in more work for us, more work, more professional learning for the staff that actually made the suggestion in how leaders needed to change? Why does it always come back and land on our lap as more work? Mm-hmm.
0: It's a uh, it's something it's a phrase that or a, a sort of an idea that you use quite a bit, Dan. You know, it's 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 an us thing. It's not a them thing. Uh, this idea that we, the us, need to explore this. You know, if someone's had the courage to speak up to a leader and give them some feedback about things that could actually be better, you know, the irony, as, as in Chris's question here, is that it comes back and becomes professional development for the staff to start to explore the things that they absolutely need to do. You need to do this. You need to lift up your, you know, socks around this particular thing rather than recognising it as us. Dan, I'm going to throw back to you on this question because I know you, you you've got thoughts.
1: Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I, and there's no more detail in the question than, than that. But I'm going to use an example that I often hear a lot is where members of staff will, um, you know, share back, and and it's I, I guess there's some irony here because we've asked in the previous response to a question on this episode we were talking about go and ask your people what they want around well-being, you know, and often that the people will speak up around the need to improve workplace culture or you know other aspects around well-being and leaders hear that and go oh okay they need to be more resilient let's get more let's get some trainers in and and help them become more resilient they need to change their mindset they need to turn up more motivated you know because cause that's what they've told us and and it's like this real missed moment in time and and the reason that I laughed is cuz so often and and I do mean Really, really often, Um, people will call us and say, "Hey, I've got a group of people who I want you to work with. You know, you need to work Work on work on. (laughs) Yeah, You, you know, they need to do this, they need to do that." And my response almost always is, "Yeah, I'm sure they do, but how about you? You know, I'm sure they do need to work on this, and I'm sure they do need to reflect on that. But to what extent do you need to as well? And." more often than not our uh, the only way we'll accept any kind of engagement in that manner is you're you're doing this with us <laughs> you know like the, we have to have whoever's whoever's doing the booking whoever's you know fixing a problem for other people by getting us in they need to be in on it as well not just from a tokenistic point of view but actually more often than not it's not an us and them thing it's an us thing it's a we thing that we need to be figuring this out together and and as people who work with us would know that's our core business. We get people in in the mush as we like to refer to it as and and we talk we get things out there and we help them understand that very very rarely are people doing things malevolently. Very very rarely are people in isolation doing those things. More often than not it's a collective people working on a whole heap of assumptions that they've got in their head and we've all got these blind spots and we're just doing the best we can without really understanding the collateral damage that we're leaving in our wake. And I think for any leader listening, if you're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I need my people to learn this. I need my people to see this or do this, whatever that might be, whatever new shiny thing has got your attention or whatever book you've just read, my answer is, yeah, I'm sure they do but I reckon you might need to sit with it a bit longer as well. Mm. And, and and that's not being flippant and that's not trying to be a smart ass, but it's just saying you know, that you have to be able to be willing to do this side by side together with your people rather than trying to bring it in and giving them more work to fix what inevitably is en- going to end up getting worse because of your approach.
0: Mm. I think that's a very nice way to round out this episode, Daniel.
1: Indeed it is. <laughs> It'll be even better once your tips come home, baby.
0: Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'm guessing you're uh, betting in the opposite direction to everything that I've suggested except maybe the All Blacks.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, I, I'm not really a gambler. I'm not really a gambler. Oh. I'm leaning. Oh, okay. I'm leaning. My, mm. So my leanings would be, for those who might be interested, are. Just,
0: Just ignore the virtue signalling there for <laughs> a minute <laughs> from my uh, ah. co-host here.
1: <laughs> my leanings are... Cowboys in the heat. Um, I've got no reference point with the AFL. I've got no mm. idea, but I'm just going to go with Swannies. <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. It
0: didn't stop me having a go. <laughs> I'm going to go Swannies,
1: yeah. um, just purely because we're from Sydney. Um, I'm going to go Penrith. And as it pains me to say it, I'd like to see the Wallabies get up, but Eden Park, you know what? Go the Wallabies. What the hell? What the hell? What, the hell? what do you got to lose? Go the Wallabies. All right, we're going Wallabies. That's yeah, it. All right. all right, so we'll see how that we'll see how that transpires. Because people do listen to this podcast oh, for our sporting. Tips. Let me tell you, they have they have <laughs> jotted down every pearl of wisdom.
0: Can I strongly suggest that anyone who's listened to what I've said do not put a single dollar or, on any of indeed. my suggestions?
1: <laughs> but what I do suggest they do.
0: Let me talk to you about Bitcoin, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you what I do suggest you do. I suggest that you like, comment and subscribe to this podcast. And I also suggest you share this as far and as wide as you can in your networks. Reason Well, if you find it interesting, there's a fair chance that someone you know would find it interesting as well. And just by liking or just by commenting, and certainly by subscribing, that does some kind of internet magic thing, which means that it puts it out to even more people, which helps us spread the word. It's a little thing for you to do, but it makes a real big difference here. And if you would like to leave us a question for an upcoming Q&A episode, then you can head over to habitsofleadership.com, click on the podcast page there, and you could submit it either by email or like liam and get yourself a signed copy of my book leave a voicemail for us but until our next episode thanks for joining us perco thank you very much daniel always a pleasure and thank you for listening until our next episode take care take it easy